Hey there, folks. Trustworthy Fat Kev Smith. Before we start casting the pods, man, let me try to sell you something first, okay? Do you like me? Do you like my friends Jason Muse, uh, Ralph Garman? Then guess what? We're coming to a town near you, man. Utah, Halifax, Pasadena, Ontario, and Berea, California. Fort Lauderdale, Palm Beach, and Orlando, Florida. Chicago, St. Louis, Atlantic City, San Diego for the Comic-Con, and Louisville, Kentucky. We're coming your way, man. Come see us, Mod Co. Show. Tickets at csmod.com. That's S-E-E-S-M-O-D.com. Now, if you can't come to one of our shows, you're like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to support this two-bit operation? Well, how about you kick back in your home with some family and friends and loved ones and play Monopoly? Jay and Silent Bob strike back Monopoly. That's right, man. You can buy from JayandSilentBob.com, the home of the secret stash, right there online, a signed edition of uh, Jay and Silent Bob strike back Monopoly. Me and Muse sign it man jason muse jay himself me silent bob uh and the parts are real fun man they got a little cock knocker a little fist a little uh, uh little suzanne little blunt mobile it's crazy man get your hands on it you get drunk get stoned and play a round of jay and silent bob strike back monopoly available signed by me and jason muse at jay and silent bob.com now here comes your smodco podcast Geek News Reviews Commentary Not just another podcast On the Ordinary People Broadcast Now here comes your host Kyle A. Barrett Of the World Steve Welcome to the Big Ball Broadcast Episode 16 All the geeky news you can use My name is Kyle A. Bear. I'm a voice actor for anime and video games You can currently hear me on the video game Dragon Ball Xenoverse As teen and adult Gohan Ballistamon and Darulamon on Digimon Fusion on Nicktoons Kiba on Naruto Shippuden on Adult Swim sitting here on the nice awesome West Coast. And your coast on the East Coast of the world, Steve. I am a musician and amateur historian. You were saying before we started recording this episode that Tuesdays are a great day to do the show and uh, let our audience know why. Because apparently all the best in geeky news comes out on Mondays. So as you and I go through the week and we're scrambling saying, what in the fuck are we going to talk about in this next show? Monday rolls around and Monday just fills our goodie bag like a a Halloween night. And we have so many wonderful topics to talk about this evening. So many. I got to start with this one because I'm the Apple guy and you're the Android guy. So I'm just going to get this out of my system now. Apple Watch announced it's uh, coming for pre-order April 10th, available April 24th. Your entry-level uh, model, called the Sport, is available for $350, or you could spend uh, $600 and get the Steel version, or if you have nothing but money to blow and you're a total douchebag, you can get the $10,000 version, and if you pimp it out, you could drop close to seventeen grand just to say, fuck you, I'm rich. But anyway, 18-hour battery life... Um, before, before, before people start asking me, it's like, all right, I'm kind of eyeballing the steel one. Now, I've ordered the Pebble Time Steel, and that's $250, which sounds like a quarter uh, <laughs> compared to what Apple is charging for this shit. A lot of the initial reviews with the hands-on stuff say that, you know, it's kind of confusing and annoying. And then other people are like, well, it's Apple. It's an awesome product, this, that, and the other. And it's like, how bad of a, of a state of technology are we to uh, get to the point where you need another device to remind you that your first device is annoying and you need to just 
shove that back in your pocket and forget about it. Even godly expensive, you know, I'm all for people who want to geek out and embrace technology and try out different things. Yeah, I talk a lot of shit about Apple. And hey, give me a minute. I even have more shit to talk about Apple in another story. I don't get the the gold watch where you're talking just a, a ridiculous amount of money for what is essentially a peripheral for your phone. I was reading earlier on a website that I don't recall right now. Um, in their filings, their official filings for the watch, for the gold watch uh, specifically, Apple stated that their intent was to use as little gold in it as possible. And it's it's 18 karat gold, and it's really fleeting on how much gold they use. So to me personally, it doesn't justify that expense. Right. I mean, if you've got $10,000 to blow on a watch, I was reading a blog that talks about, you know, just go analog. You'll never have to charge it. You know, this thing has to be charged every day. It's never going to go out of, you know, a style. It's not going to have to have an upware, a firmware upgrade or software upgrade, hardware, this, that, and the other. For all the people... I mean, yeah, yeah, whoa, whoa, they, you know, feel terrible because they blew $10,000 on a phone and they're going to have to spend another 10000 to get the next model. But they're gonna, and if they have that kind of money, they really don't fucking care to begin with. And it's it's no skin off their teeth. But uh, And it is an interesting time where I'm really interested to see how much of a splash this makes because you've had Android uh, ha- have the smartwatch thing and Pebble come into the indie market and be a success in its own right within Kickstarter and, and all of that. Uh, but the smartwatch thing hasn't really totally taken off. And it seems like even though you could criticize Apple for being behind the curb, once it goes mainstream with them, then suddenly everyone just start, starts, you know, going, Oh my God, I have to have a smartwatch now or, or a tablet now or, the next MacBook, and, and, and so on. Hey, we've been reading about the proposition, at least anyways, that Apple's going to be coming out with a smart car in the relatively, relatively near future. God, yeah, yeah. Um, that That's overkill. I mean, I did hear that CarPlay, that's integration into all the major car manufacturers, that's going to happen. Okay, that's that's fine. If you're an Apple person, I don't. I guess you're kind of screwed if you're an Android person. And I don't know if Google has plans to counteract that whole thing, you know, is there a Google car in development too to counteract Apple? I think Google started years ago and Google actually has a lane on a California highway. I'm not sure which one it is, but they have a lane all to themselves where they can actually get out on the highway and test these smart cars. They drive in procession and they're driverless cars. So Google's hoping that's going to be the wave of the future. Apple, it's more, uh, I guess akin to kind of like Prius, uh, and, and, and maybe even the Tesla cars there, although they're not hot rods, but you know, there's battery operated, uh, automobiles with the Apple brand, which I'm sure that they'll ask for, you know, 10 times what every other auto manufacturer is asking for, for a car. And I'm not sure how, how much more elegant do you really need electronic integration in, in, in a car? Like, like what I do now and for the past few years, my car stereo system has Bluetooth integration. So I can stream, uh, music apps or podcasts or whatever directly to my car stereo. I can take calls over the car stereo. I don't really see how, what else could be done. I mean, I, yeah, I use GPS on the the phone. I'm fine with that system. I, I don't ever use the, the car integrated GPS stuff. And for everyone out there who doesn't have a, a car with these kind of features on it, you know, uh, the upgrade to that technology versus what Apple probably is eyeing doing a few years from now, I don't think that cost is necessarily justified. And, you know, is, is, is everyone's life going to become that much easier with that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, in the next few years, you're going to find more car manufacturers put Wi-Fi hotspots in cars. Okay, that's a good idea. That's cool, especially on long road trips. You don't want to, you know, 
use up your whole data plan. And my daughter is excellent at doing that, just streaming YouTube videos all day long on LTE network. And it's like, hey, come on, I'm, I'm out of data now. Fuck. Well, just to clarify for our listeners, what I'm talking about specifically is Apple is coming to market with their own car. Okay, so not just integration. You mean no, literally a vehicle. Literally an automobile. Okay. With a big <laughs> Apple symbol on the door or something. I've had a Prius for years and I'm really, really happy with it. Not because it's the most, like the most badass looking car in the world. I mean, I'm not really a car person. I just want something that gets me from point A to point B and have good mileage. And it does. It has awesome mileage. I drive a Prius C and it's got, uh, between 42, 44, 45 miles a gallon. Typically, you know, better if you, if you'd have long highway trips, but I do a lot of inner city driving. I tend to do a lot of my voiceover recording sessions in the same place where I live, the same city. Uh, so, but I mean, it's, it, it's just kind of a no brainer, you know, I, I, whether you drive a hybrid or just a regular car, if, if that brand has been good to you, I would tell you to, to not venture out and try something new unless you're just tired of, of, of driving what you're driving and want something new. I mean, I don't agree with, Apple taking that step is the least bit because when you think Apple, you certainly don't think cars. You, no. you think the, the phones and the, the tablets and, and the smartwatches. Um, but of course, um, whether or not I like it, it isn't the story here. The story is that for some reason it started in the United States and spread across the, the English speaking world that Apple has become a status symbol. If you have an Apple phone or an Apple tablet, you are part of that clique, part of that group, um, opposed to the outsiders who are using window phones or, or Android phones or whatever. So I can see people who, who are more affluent buying an Apple car and, and flouting that type of uh, self-importance, but I don't think it's going to be something that, that they're doing like out of the kindness of their heart to make cars more affordable and economical and, and get a wider distribution for people who need transportation. I was, uh, I didn't watch the whole presentation when they, when they first debuted the iWatch or the Apple Watch, but they had like videos of people, you know, jogging through the deserts of Africa. It's like, if that is the most blatant form of like, look what a rich douche I am, you know, going this, this poverty stricken country wearing my smartwatch. And speaking of rich douches, and I am speaking uh, about Apple here, of course, and not our wonderful listening audience. Um, We've been talking for a long time since since this uh, podcast is launched here on Smodcast about HBO and uh, HBO Now and and if it would be ever if it would be ever available as a standalone app where you wouldn't have to be uh, an HBO subscriber to be able to get HBO programming on your portable devices and that day has finally come we're going to be able to have HBO Now as a standalone subscription service service the caveat is is that Apple is their exclusive partner. <laughs> so you have to have an Apple phone or an Apple tablet in order to watch HBO now. Um, what I guess is kind of cool is that you don't have to have Apple TV for this to work. Um, there is integration for Apple TV, but it'll work on all your Apple devices. No word about whether or not uh, other companies are going to be able to have this capability in any time in the future. And it's going to cost a relatively steep $15 a month for your HBO now. So I could ask you, Kyle, because I, I rock an Android. You, you are the Apple fan. So mm -hmm. what do you think? 15 bucks a month for HBO? I haven't seen really any of those 
great shows that everyone goes on and on about on HBO. Uh, I could see an Apple fanboy or fangirl totally just going crazy over it, uh, whether they, you know, uh, torrent the shows or if they buy the Blu-rays after the fact. But having access to on-demand library of all their favorite shows, you know, Game of Thrones, Boardwalk Empire, all the all the new stuff, and all the even the old 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 stuff. Uh, it's a great option. I I'm not going to be personally investing in this particularly because uh, I haven't seen the shows. I don't know. I'm sure they're great, but you know, only so many hours of the day. I was just tweeting the other day about how I can be totally excited to 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 look at my Netflix queue or my Hulu queue and the shows that I got to catch up on, and then once I finally sit down in front of the TV. I'm not motivated to watch a single one of them. So I'm afraid I would just be pissing away money at that point. The $15 price point, I've seen some people go back and forth saying that's like, you know, it'd be okay if it were 10, but 15, just a little bit steep, which makes me go, all right, you're going to, you're going to finagle this, that, and the other for, it's like, you'll pay $5 for a, for a Starbucks coffee. But, (laughs) you know, it's like that $5 difference in programming for a cable channel or, or on demand, uh, uh, programming that, that, that's the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. That, that's the deal breaker, that extra five bucks. Um, right now, if, if you subscribe, you could potentially get a month, uh, free. This is going to be launching at the beginning of April. And there is an early bird subscriber deal where if you subscribe before a certain cutoff date, um, you'll get a, your first month for free. And of course, having done thorough research, I don't know when that cutoff date is. So best of luck to you. Um, for somebody like me, yeah, you know, if it was available on an Android platform, I'd probably be interested because I, although I am a cable subscriber, I do not subscribe to HBO. I do think more and more every week, especially after the podcast, that I really do want to cut the cable and I want to start um, catering television to more of my wants and needs, kind of more a la carte than what I'm doing with cable. So. If this does come over to a, a viable platform, absolutely. I do think it's a dick move to say, oh, uh, it's, Apple's the exclusive partner right now. Yeah, because as much ground as Android's gained over the past five years alone, the, the growth is just astronomical. And as much of an Apple fanboy as I am, I do not believe in monopolies. I think there should be competition because that that makes the other company work all that harder. And then who wins? The, the public, because we get better products. So... But I think all audiences need to be served by that. So I don't know how long this uh, exclusivity will exact will will exist. You know, having the HBO type thing. Now, something I haven't seen in any online blog talking about the HBO Now streaming service is: is it just on demand, or can you watch live HBO on the go? There was brief reference to the article that I had. Um, regarding the new season of Game of Thrones. Now, it doesn't say if it'll be available for you to uh, stream as it actually airs or if it goes into the repository, into the library. But I'm thinking there probably wouldn't be too much of a delay. Uh, and again, there shouldn't be exclusive to Apple and $15 a month. Right. And I mean, I mean, this business model would totally fuck over cable companies. But how awesome would it be to, to have a la carte channels that you subscribe to for, you know, not $15 a month, but lower. So you can cherry pick the channels you want, but have them be live things. So you could either watch the live feed or access on demand. I think that's the ultimate customer control. I think that's what everyone kind of wants. It's like, 
I do like the thrill of, of, of channel, not thrill, but <laughs> I enjoy channel surfing. You know, you could just scroll past the channels like, oh, Fifth Element's on. I'll watch that. Even though you have Fifth Element in your Blu-ray collection, there's something kind of cool about scrolling past channels and, and finding a movie or TV show that you enjoy. You know, what I keep thinking is, um, I wonder why the big three, ABC, CBS, and NBC, haven't developed kind of like a, a Netflix type of um, market online, because we hear every year about shows that just aren't getting the rating and they get yanked from the network, or pilots that really didn't meet expectations and they don't go into production. But wouldn't it be neat to actually have the networks be able to have like a, a substation for television and kind of bring it to you a little bit more on the cheap um, and, and show some of those shows. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean this, this may be a completely uh, naive viewpoint, but because the internet saves companies a lot of overhead costs, I would think that, that going the online route would, would save money overall. You're paying less people. So yeah, the downside is a lot of people fucking lose their jobs. That sucks. There's no way around that. But, um, if they're going to, I mean, they just have to rethink everything. The internet has totally re made everyone just stop in their tracks and go, Oh shit, we got to rethink business models, distribution models. What, what, what sort of, uh, you know, how much do we invest versus how much are we going to make back? It's, it's totally different now. It's not, it's, it's, a, I think it's a totally, totally different animal than, than broadcast television or, or cable TV. But you know, you talk about shows like Constantine, which I know you are absolutely in love with. Yeah. And the numbers aren't where it should be. And, no. it, and it's kind of fell on the network and it's, it's going to get yanked. Um, now remind me again what network that is on. That's on NBC. NBC. Now imagine if NBC had, that online component where they could keep Constantine, probably keep the writer, director, the cast, and just do it in maybe a, a cheaper format. You may not get all the bells and whistles you're getting in the broadcast show, but to at least maybe finish a season, maybe just keep that brand a little bit more alive. And who knows? Shows like Future, Futurama, Family Guy, uh, a litany of other shows have rebounded so they could reintroduce it back to their broadcast network. Now, the other thing I'm wondering, too, is do you think the time's going to come when you don't have to worry about when shows are airing? Uh, you know, there just won't be a, a TV calendar anymore if you want to watch Big Bang Theory. You just... Once a week, it's available for download, you know, or or once a week, it's available for streaming. Maybe uh, all those slots that at prime time, eight o'clock slot or whatever, just will go away, and it'll be like watch what you want when you want, and it doesn't matter when we're broadcasting it or making it available. I want to say that I really enjoy the Netflix model. Now, ultimately, if everyone did that, we'd all be waiting a lot longer for our favorite shows. But what they're doing, and with with House of Cards and all their other programming, Orange is the New Black. And now Daredevil coming uh, in just a few weeks. You're going to get every episode of that series from the get-go on launch day, which is exciting. So people can just do their 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 marathoning and and just get it out of their system. And then you know, yeah, you have that regret of like, well, what the fuck am I supposed to watch now? But I like that option of not having to wait a week if I didn't want to. That is pretty cool. It, it is certainly against the grain from how everybody else is presenting their products. So eh, it's great to have options. Totally. Speaking of options, I, I want to sneak this in real quick. There's a new update coming to the PS4 over the, the PlayStation Network. Unfortunately, I don't have a PS4 right now. And, and this one kind of got me because one thing they're bringing to the update is 
a button swapping feature, which I thought was really interesting, especially with people who play uh, competitive games, either shooting or, or fighting games. You can go into this menu and customize all your button assignments to whatever is most comfortable for you, regardless of the programming in the game or, or doing it in-game or, or doing it with different um, button setups they have available in their menus. So you can go in as, uh, as a one-time thing and switch over your entire button layout and save that layout and just use it at will. Yeah, that is pretty cool. I like that. And I do have to I have to say, you got to get a PS4, dude. Uh, is, is there a particular game that you're waiting to get, or is it just kind of an expense issue right now? It's an expense issue for the most part, but what really bothered me was I am a huge Infamous fan, and uh, for those not in the know, um, I, I do have a number of tattoos on my body, but the only gaming-related tattoo I have comes from the first Infamous game. It, it really uh, left that kind of mark on me, pun intended. Um, and, and even my oldest son, he it's not really for kids, and I should put that disclaimer out there. It's, it's for adults, people. But uh, my son enjoys Infamous uh, like crazy as well, the, the story, the gameplay. Um, when Second Son was announced for the PS4, I thought, you know, here we go, next-gen, infamous, this is going to be fucking incredible. And it was such a disappointment. It probably for a good year just killed any interest I had in the PS4. But I'm starting to think about it more and more, and uh, when the expenses allow, I just might do that as well. I can honestly say that if you have your, your internet connectivity in your PS4, or probably any console, and it's just over Wi-Fi... Um, you're going to have very limited results in terms of the new, uh, well, now, particularly speaking to the PS4, the, the streaming the games from the cloud service. I forgot. Is that PlayStation? What, what's the name of that service? I forgot. Crap. Um, but it's on demand and, uh, it has a free trial. You get like a free six or seven day trial with it. So I signed up for it, went ahead and, and, and did it. So I wanted to play Street Fighter Ultra, uh, but they didn't actually have it. They advertised having it, but they actually had like Super Street Fighter 4. What the difference is, I don't really care. But um, I played a little of it, and it, it looks like you're just watching pixelated video. If uh, if you're not if you're not uh, hardwired uh, for the internet to come through to your to your console, so I suggest anyone who wants to stream the games on the PS4 to be able to play PS2, PS3 games, um, definitely don't use the Wi-Fi out. You know, get an Ethernet cable and hook it up because uh, that difference is really noticeable. I wonder if there's some sort of quick fix for that, if they'll be able to do a patch or something and improve the, the quality, or if it's more a regional issue. It's kind of sad to be reminded that the United States has some of the slowest consumer rate uh, internet in the world. <laughs> there are countries that are just head and shoulders uh, speed-wide speed wise with their internet um so yeah it, it, it's beautiful in theory it, it's just too bad it's an abortion in execution yeah kind of sucks but something that hopefully will not suck and we all saw it coming is something that uh, marvel's going to do because they're continuing to have a lot of success with their cinematic universe and and they're trying to pump some energy into their comic book line groot from guardians of the galaxy getting his own solo comic series uh, he's not going to team up with Rocket, though. He's going to go off on his own. That sounds like an uphill battle. But uh, writer Jeff Loveness says that some of the, the this the series can be thought of as like a Marvel version of Pee-wee's Big Adventure mixed with Dumb and Dumber and a little bit of Candide. And he promises there'll be space sharks. Uh, I've already seen like when I when I scroll past the Marvel app on new release day, 
there there's a ton of Guardians of the Galaxy solo issues and series being launched, so I knew it was just a matter of time before Groot, the fan favorite movie character, uh, would would get some love that way. And because he has such a limited uh, vocabulistics, <laughs> uh, it, it leaves it leaves room for for some really innovative visual storytelling. So uh, I might be in- interested in picking this one up. And you know that's amazing because yeah, you totally killed my whole twenty minute tirade about the eloquence of Groot. But um, I I didn't think about how yeah, if you can't rely on the dialogue, then you certainly have to rely more on the visuals and and interactions with other characters. So that could actually be a, a very interesting experiment. Yeah, yeah, and especially for people that that love comics to have a good visual appeal you know for many years my favorite title was sandman by neil gaiman the the strength was in the storytelling not the art and at least, at least they kept changing it up every story arc they'd get a different artist and sometimes it was just drop dead gorgeous like kelly jones on season of mist and then other times it would just look like shit It'd still be great stories but it's like you know for a visual medium and you can't please everybody. I understand. You know what? What's one man's treasure is another man's trash. Uh, but you know, good art. You know, whatever. You don't know until you see it. What's great about this uh, group series is it's a mini series, and generally speaking, anyway, with Marvel with their mini series, you'll have the same creative team through every issue, barring some sort of a behind the scenes argument. So, I think what you see in issue one is kind of going to set the standard for the remaining issues in that series. Yeah, kind of like what they do in the TV world. It's like, give it a miniseries, and let's see if people bite. And if it if it connects, then we'll launch a, a full series. It's just kind of what happens. Um, we've seen it with Agent Carter. It's done really well. People really love that. Maybe it'll get expanded into a, a full season, uh, a season two or whatever, instead of eight episodes. Um, it, it's a good way to just give people just a little bit of a, a sampler without a full budget commitment and, and have things blow up in their face, you know? And that, my dear friend, leads us into this beautiful segue talking about a limited series that could turn into something bigger. Ash versus Evil Dead coming to stars. Um, I read recently. It's a 10-episode miniseries. I thought this was an ongoing series, but I think, you know, uh, given the market nowadays, they're going to do the 10 episodes, see how it pans out, and then decide where it's all going to go from there. But the interesting news that we have today is that we knew that Ash would have a female co-star in the series, and they hadn't really alluded or even speculated as to who that would be. And then yesterday comes the big news that it's going to be Lucy Lawless. Uh, she will be the female lead in Star's Ash vs. Evil Dead. And uh, she's going to be playing a mysterious figure who is on her own quest to hunt down the source of all the recent evil outbreaks. And she believes that Ash is the cause of it all. So almost sounds like the, the, the Batman Superman movie coming out from DC <laughs> premise. Um, but given that, you know, the Raimi brothers are involved in this. It might even exceed Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Man, <laughs> Superman versus Batman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I had to laugh when you said that. Oh, yeah, she wonders if Ash is behind it all. If you know those movies with Bruce Campbell, Bruce Campbell, Ash is behind it all. <laughs> He's the idiot who reads from the Book of the Dead and makes the dead arise. And the, all the, the shitstorm that happens is thanks to his buffoonery. And I'm sure this is going to be no exception in all that. I'm still kind of... 
I would have been totally happy had they just made, you know, Evil Dead 4, you know, take place after Army of Darkness. He brought the, the bad shit into the current situation. He's working at it at S-Mart. And it's just a showdown in the, in the shopping store uh, with 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 all the fucking dead. I would have been happy with that. I'm, I'm I'm not so sure a TV series is warranted, but I do love Ash. I love Sam Raimi. I love the Evil Dead uh, feel and all that. And hopefully that will translate well into the TV medium because it works really well cinematically. You can tell a great story, a nice tight story in an hour and a half. But if you if you stretch it out too much, I'm not so sure sure we need to investigate. Uh, and here's Ash when he went to high school, and here he is, you know, when he studied, you know, Shakespeare and and whatnot. You know, you, you can have too much of a good thing. I think it's, uh, I think these networks are, are going to kind of hop on whatever's popular, and thank God the vampire thing's over with. But now we're back with the the supernatural, living dead uh, kick. We've got, as I mentioned, Supernatural, which is still ridiculously popular after 10,000 seasons. It's a show that just won't die. Um, and we've got The Walking Dead on AMC, which is ridiculously popular. Uh, I have a lot of friends who watch The Walking Dead, and I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how they're going to respond to this uh, Evil Dead television sequel, because the tone, as you know, is quite different. Right, and then Walking Dead gets its own spinoff series set, I believe, in uh, L.A. after this whole zombie apocalypse with a different set of core characters, I think is set to debut this summer. And I think it's it's, it's not having anything to do with the source material, the original comic book of, of Kirkman. So I, uh, I don't know. I don't know. But I know geeks have a, a pretty wide spectrum of appreciation for things. Uh, I'm behind on, on, on Walking Dead currently. I got like about five episodes to catch up on. I'm, I'm killing myself because I pride being able to watch with my daughter every week the new episode. We keep on getting pulled in different directions. So I'm just going to have to marathon it because this season's about to end. And I'm just going to just like, all right, let's get through. Let's just rattle through and get this season done with. I haven't watched it. And uh, I'm the type of person where I feel very intimidated when a show has been on for seasons and I haven't checked it out and, and still with the continued hype, I just keep thinking, oh man, that's going to take me, you know, five days of binge watching to catch up just to catch up so I can watch the, the current season. And, uh, yeah, I kind of what you started with saying where you, you have all this interest and, and, and all this, uh, supposed motivation. And then you sit down and you start watching it. It's like, do I, do I really want to sit and watch, you know, 200 episodes to get caught up in the series? Yeah. I, I, I like throwing it out there when we talk about like anime series, like, so I'm a guest at a lot of anime conventions cause I do voiceover for anime and video games. So a lot of fans say, have you watched one piece? And it's like, how many episodes is it? And they're all oh, over 600. Fuck. No. Am I investing? Any time, and I don't care how awesome it is. That's a lot of time. Yeah, I mean, conservatively, you're talking 200 hours. <laughs> and that's just to catch up. Anything new after that point, you're, you're still in a lurch. Yeah, so I like the new trend in anime, anyway, where they'll make much shorter series. They like they'll do 12 or 13 episode runs, and then they just disappear. That's a much easier time commitment. And then you have the opposite happen, where once in a while a real nugget like Cowboy Bebop happens, and it's like, that's the show I wish was 600 episodes long. Right? And then you have the, albeit very, very rarely, the shows like Fooly Cooly, 
where it was kind of in- independently put together and in- independently distributed. I remember I picked up the box set when it was released, I believe it was six episodes, and it was 80 bucks. And that was so the company could recoup some of their cost. But to me, that was part of the allure. I was so proud that a company was willing to take that risk, even though the show was like entirely fucked up. Um, yeah, here's my 80 bucks because you, you took a risk. You took that gamble. You want to do it on your own. So glad I could help them out. Take my money. Hey, you guys listening to our podcast. First of all, thank you for listening. Second of all, are you following us on Twitter? Because you need to. At BB Broadcast. You can send your replies right now as we do our live audio stream on Tuesday evenings, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Your chance to listen in as we record our new episodes. And, of course, they, they actually stream live on Smodco Internet Radio on Thursdays at uh, 8.30 p.m. Pacific, and again on Tuesday afternoons, I believe, at 1, 1.30 Pacific time. And, of course, all our episodes are available uh, through your favorite podcast catcher, and we're on SoundCloud, we're on iTunes, and, of course, Spodcast.com. So please chime in with uh, comments, questions, uh, reply. We, We want your feedback. And if you're scared of social media, and some of you are just like, you just loathe it. I fucking hate Twitter. Oh, Facebook. Fuck that shit. Well, drop us an email. I mean, email's not all evil. Or is it? Because people are watching. They're watching every move, every keystroke. The Big Ball Broadcast at gmail.com is how you can get in touch with us with uh, anything you want. You say, oh, Twitter, uh, I can't get it into 140 characters because I have too much to say. Good. Send us an email. Because so far, with 15 episodes under our belt, we haven't gotten a single email yet. You, you, you could be the first one. Not only will we read it on the air, we'll give you a big shout out. But it's like, congratulations for, for investing your time. And I will print it out, I will hang it in my home office, and I will take a picture of myself finally admiring it and post it to all our social media accounts. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, I want to come back to the Marvel thing, because uh, you dug up the story on um, on, the, on the whole who is going to Comic-Con, or more importantly, who's not going to Comic-Con. You know, for years, this has been, you know, for decades, you know, the, the benchmark of finding out the latest in comic book trends. And then it started morphing. As Hollywood films and pop culture films started becoming a huge thing, then it became a big corporate event in San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, now major Hollywood studios will come down and uh, take over Hall H, the infamous Hall H, where people have to spend nights overnight sleeping in their sleeping bags just to have a place in line to get in there and they don't clear the people out so you got to sit through a day long of shit panels you probably could care less about just to watch the one that you do care about you've had studios everything fox dreamworks uh i don't think disney because disney has their own thing with d23 but uh other studios paramount um and so forth, and especially now uh, Marvel, even though they are a Disney leg, but Marvel has been there for years with the whole cinematic uh, universe push, and it's it's a huge, huge hit. It's a great way to build hype in Hall H and, of course, all the buzz on social media. Um, so what did you find out about uh, the Marvel situation? Well, in a recent Facebook Q&A, James Gunn um, from Guardians of the Galaxy was asked, will you be at San Diego Comic-Con this year? And his response was, I'm not sure. Marvel isn't going to go, and I'm not sure I will either. Now, some people took this as maybe the rambling of a, of a drunk, deranged man, but Gunn doubled down later on Twitter and said, um, I never lied about anything to the fans, ever, when he got called out about his uh, statement about Marvel not being at Comic-Con. 
Um, however, you know, if you think about it, it's probably not very crazy on Marvel's part because Age of Ultron is coming out on May 1st, and Comic-Con doesn't happen until July 9th through the 12th. Um, Ant-Man comes out on the 17th, and after that, there's nothing new coming from Marvel until May of 2016. So it leaves Hall H kind of open, and I'm keeping my fingers crossed, maybe for a big Star Wars thing, or maybe for a big Sony Spider-Man announcement, but I don't think people should be offended that Marvel isn't going. They they just don't have a reason to be there this year. I think on top of that, they honestly don't need it. I mean, do they need the publicity? Um, no. I mean, the box office receipts ever since the first Iron Man film kind of proved that the audience is built in. They're going to come. They're going to see it. Uh, social media is the best free marketing there is for anybody from a lowly podcaster like us to a major corporation. Um, another thing is Marvel is a, is a wing of Disney. Disney also handles the Star Wars property now. Uh, will you get something from, from them? Well, no, not at Comic Con because they're going to have Star Wars celebration. They have their own convention and they have D23. They have other outlets for this stuff for, for Marvel to also take advantage of for the, for the, like the Disney convention scene and, and whatnot. Yeah, I didn't think about that with Star Wars. So you, you kind of, took some of the the wind out of my holly sale <laughs> well Maybe i mean sony with spider-man can, can i at least hold out for that you yeah you could totally hold out for that i mean if if there's something that would totally fill up hall h not that it needs any problem with that it has any issues with that but i mean yeah if you want to announce who the next spider-man's going to be that that would be a great venue to do it because otherwise i can't think of what really big property you could put in there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Hey, maybe, maybe the live action Dumbo that Tim Burton has just announced to be directing. Now he's, he, he's, he's also committed to doing Beetlejuice too, which that's the one I'm excited for. Honestly. I mean, yay. Michael Keaton doing a sequel again. When's the last time he did that? Oh yeah. Batman returns. Um, I don't really give a shit about a live action Disney movie at this point. Um, it's just interesting because, I mean, it, it surprises me and it doesn't surprise me. Uh, Tim Burton has a huge track record. He makes studios a shit ton of money. You could argue the artistic merits till you're blue in the face saying, oh, he had made a good film since Batman or the original Beetlejuice or Pee Wee's Big Adventure, his debut in 1985. And, uh, but Alice in Wonderland made a shit ton of money for Disney a couple years ago. And it's, it's greenlit a, a sequel that's happening next year that he has nothing to do with. I think he's producing. But meanwhile, um, yeah, let's see live action Dumbo. Will that feature, um, you know, Helen Bonham Car Carter and Johnny Depp? Cause it seems like all his movies have to. It's pretty wild. Uh, Disney really dug in their heels with these live ac action adaptations to their classic animated films. We have, um, Tomorrowland coming out, uh, based on a ride or, or a park. Um, Surprisingly, that's already getting like really tremendous uh, praise and anticipation from a lot of uh, people on the internet. Some people have compared it to Jupiter Ascending Disney-fied, um, but they're saying that could actually be a good thing. And you also have Beauty and the Beast coming out as a live-action film with uh, Hermione from the Harry Potter series mm -hmm. as Belle. And uh, they recently announced who Beast was, and honestly, I don't give a fuck enough. I thought the the most maleficent thing would kind of kill that direction with these live action adaptations, but they're just going to keep uh, 
branding those and keep them coming fast and coming hard and keep throwing it all out the wall because, I mean, fuck, it's Disney. It's going to make money regardless. It, it makes money. Maleficent did make money. I actually like Maleficent. I didn't I have any interest in, in any of the other uh, stuff, the Cinderella, the live-action Beauty and the Beast, all this stuff down the down the line. I don't give a shit about. But people go either out of morbid curiosity or, or what, and once the money's spent, it's spent, so... You know, that's why you have situations where like, oh yeah, let's make an Avatar sequel, not not the James Cameron one, but the, the Last Airbender, because that movie was technically a hit, even though the box office dropped off, deservedly so, after the first weekend when people went and saw what a bastardization uh, <laughs> of the original source material as it happens. But that that's what Hollywood does. They make money, and they're going to continue, you know, as long as we show up, they're going to keep making them. And that film was permanently barred from my house. I don't give a fuck how old my kids are. They are not allowed to watch that ever again. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't even make it through 10 minutes on Netflix. I said, you know, I want to kind of do a riff tracks thing at, at conventions, and I, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't even suffer. No, I mean, I love that series, and I kind of kick myself because I haven't had a chance to, to dip into Korra yet, and Korra looks uh, just as amazing and, and certainly has that crossover appeal because certain characters from The Last Airbender appear in Legends of Korra. So um, I was very passionate going in with the movie because I knew in my mind what I expected, and it didn't achieve anything. It didn't tick anything off my, my achievement list for that flick. So I'm so happy there's no sequel to that. Yeah. Although there is something that, uh, there is a sequel in development for that I'm personally happy about. Uh, not everyone is because people are divided on the success of the Tron franchise. Tron Legacy did make money, just not a shit ton of money back when it debuted a few years ago. But Tron 3, as it would, probably not have another name at this point yet, but you can technically call it the third film, uh, supposedly is greenlit by Disney for October 5th production start in Vancouver. Um, now, I was reading on Cinema Blend, Cinema Blend how if they want to make it profitable, they just ratchet down the, the budget and they could do a good turnaround. And I know Tron and Tron Legacy have its, have its fan base. Uh, Garrett Hedlund, the lead from Tron Legacy, is already signed for multiple flicks, so it's just a matter of time. And Joseph Kaczynski, that was his first major feature film debut, who's, he since then went on to make Oblivion with Tom Cruise, which totally tanked. And, um, it's got something else in the, in the works too. But, uh, I'm personally, uh, looking forward to, uh, seeing another Tron movie. Are you personally looking forward to another Ghostbusters movie? And not the one that's been announced with the female cast. Are you looking forward to another another Ghostbuster movie? <laughs> do we have to? Do we have to make everything a franchise? I'm still banging my head against the wall on this one because I just don't get it. We have a uh, film coming out, a Ghostbusters film coming out with an all-new cast and kind of softly rebooting the series. But now we have word that Sony is developing a new Ghostbusters film with the Russo brothers, uh, possibly Channing Tatum in the lead. And uh, this is part of a bigger deal uh, with a production company that's not necessarily being head, but has involvement with um, Dan Aykroyd. And their whole job in this production company is to market and find uh, – uh, different applications for the Ghostbusters brand. So it's not dead in the water yet, and we just might see Aykroyd's script come into the screen, probably albeit 
without him or Bill Murray or anybody who was ever attached to the franchise. You know, I'm honestly happy just to read about whatever the fuck Bill Murray does on a day-to-day basis. I kind of think of him as a real-world Peter Venkman, and I'd rather just read about that because I know that he's just kind of ignored all the Ghostbusters 3 false starts through the years because he, he's Bill Murray. He doesn't give a shit. It's like, I, I don't want to have anything to do with this guy. He's been there, done that. Uh, it, it's for a previous generation in Hollywood, you know, yeah, it, it, it's Sony, you know, Sony with all their debacles through the years with the reboot of Spidey, the, the whole, uh, holiday season hacking, the interview, uh, now, you know, them working in cahoots with Marvel just to just lend them Spider-Man for a little bit. And now this whole thing, let's, let's, let's reboot Ghostbusters with a female cast. Oh, everyone's freaking out. Okay. We're going to make ones with guys after all. Don't worry. Don't worry. Because heaven forbid we, we we do something different, but you know I, I didn't really ask for a Ghostbusters three to be made in the first place. So apparently, the, this new corporation is called Ghost Corps. It's the the new production company with Ivan Reitman and Dan Aykroyd. Now, one thing that Reitman did, as opposed to as I'm going to be right up until release day, the one thing that's still t- tugging the back of my cerebellum here is that Reitman did. Um, put uh, Joe and, and Anthony Russo in charge of the project and, you know, coming off Captain America, the winter soldier. I love that movie. Yes. And I, I'm going on record that forget that it's a superhero film. It was the greatest action movie that came out last year. So, yes. you know, I, I don't know that that's some kind of good talent to be bringing to a property that we may not want this much of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I've seen Chris Pratt's name bandied about too. Now, we've talked about this on a previous podcast where it's like you can have too much of a good thing. He's already going to be the lead in the new Jurassic World. Obviously, there's going to be Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Uh, the rumors of his connection to maybe a reboot of Indiana Jones. It's like, all right, okay, you can see it, but do we need it? And is it too much? Eh, maybe. I wish Indiana Jones was more in the James Bond vein. And what I mean by that is, you know, you, you know, those fans and those crazy conspiracies that the, the 007 moniker is uh, just a code name and that it may not be the same agent in every film that 007s die all the time and they're just replaced by the next 007. I kind of wish Indiana Jones somehow, some way had that type of setup where it wouldn't always be uh, Henry Jones Jr. in the lead because it makes it difficult when you start talking reboots. You think of Nina Jones, you think Harrison Ford as as part and parcel. You you couldn't imagine the the existing four films with anybody but Harrison Ford in the role. So I hope it doesn't come off as too trying, I, I keep having this recurring nightmare where it, it feels more like uh, Brendan Fraser in the Mummy films than it does an Indiana Jones film, and I really hope that's not the case. <laughs> and I happen to love the first Mummy film. They did something good, and that came out just a few months before The Matrix and Phantom Menace that year. That kind of came out of nowhere. I was laughing at the at our chat room here, which um, happens on Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, uh, we got DBZ snap says zero zero. Uh, yeah. Double seven is a time Lord. It's like, well, there, there it is. There's, there's the answer. Um, let's see where I wanted to go here. Um, I found this uh, story on Kotaku. This was pretty interesting. When I go to the conventions, 
people either, for the most part, at these panels, they either want to be a voice actor or an animator. And people are just having these these goo-goo-ga-ga visions of, of being able, I want to produce my own anime series. Well, folks, anime is a word for Japanese animation, meaning it's produced in Japan. Uh, so some people take it upon their own devices to try and go abroad, go to Japan. Um, and someone's dream came true for a few years back. Animator Henry Thurlow uh, originally worked freelance in New York initially, just, you know, scraping by because New York's one of the most expensive places you can live um, in America. And um, But he wanted to work on anime. So he would just uh, submit resume after resume for years of rejection. Finally, a small studio in Japan said, yeah, come on over, we'll hire you. Uh, Thurlow has worked on Tokyo Ghoul and The Last Naruto, so he's got some, some bigger names, uh, recently under his belt, which is really good for a resume. And, uh, he, he learned the, the, the language just enough to get by on a conversational level. Um, and here's the interesting thing. You want to know how much money you would make? Uh, the smaller studio, he was making about 300 a month. Uh, it broke down to about a dollar a page. And then once he graduated to a bigger studio, he was making about a grand a month. So maybe working $4 a page or so. Uh, and the typical, uh, work week would be six days, 10 hours a day. Um, so creatively, uh, his dreams were met. It's like, this is amazing. This is amazing, but you're not making nearly enough money to, to, to do that. Plus it's, you know, the cutthroat competition as it is. It's like, how, how do you really think? A Japanese company is going to to look at an American citizen and go, yeah, let's hire him. Not in the day and age where America and even Japan are outsourcing a lot of their animation to countries like Korea because you can get it done faster and get it done cheaper. I read this article, too, and um, it was very enlightening. They asked him, you know, is it difficult for an American or, or an English-speaking individual to even get into the industry? And the response was... Just a language barrier alone is enough for them to not even consider you for an interview. Why waste your time? Why waste my time? We have plenty of nationals that live here and speak the language fluently. Why even interview somebody from a foreign culture? So it was incredibly amazing that he even got this gig to begin with. And I'm glad he put it out as a cautionary tale that I don't want to be Debbie Downer and writing your parade, but it's probably not something you want to aspire to. You probably don't want to aspire to be illustrating in Japan. Yeah, I would think if anything, you want to just kind of make your own fortune and, and try and, and and carve your own niche here or or wherever you're li- listening within the sound of our voice right now. If you want to be an animator, you know, why not, you know, uh, create and cultivate your own content where you are. Use the powers of social media. Use YouTube. Use Newgrounds. Use all these, these great, vast resources online um, because, yeah, yeah, I mean, picking up and moving to a foreign land – that in and itself is a daunting notion. You know, you got to go there and learn, rethink how to speak just alone, just to get by day to day. That would, that would kill, I think, a lot of people's motivation right then and there. Yeah. People have, um, everything's through a, the rosy lens when they think about things like this. Uh, I'm, I'm sure the same happens for a lot of people who, you know, I'm going to move to Hollywood and I'm going to be the next uh, James Dean or, or uh, Marilyn Monroe or whatever. And 98, 99% of those people fail miserably. Now, again, it's not saying uh, give up on your dreams now and reserve to something more mundane, but you really have to think about what that means just to up and relocate. I've said that about you, Kyle. You've, you've relocated um, 
from from Texas to the West Coast in the time that I've known you. And to me, that's brass balls. I'm, I'm kind of comfortable being in my backyard. You know, I'm, I'm around my family and around friends I've had for decades. Um, yeah, so just that aspect of the move, as you said, that that's that's uh, intense enough. But also the six-hour workdays with grueling hours. We Americans aren't as used to that as other cultures are. Um, so <laughs> there's that acknowledgement too. You have to work. And, and it's not your creative whim or whimsy either. You're doing what you're dictated to do. Yeah, and I would think if anything, you go through that. It's it's only like a, it's an eye-opening experience from a work ethic perspective, but also just draining on your psyche. It's like, you may, you may rethink. It's like, okay, maybe I don't want to be an animator. Maybe I don't want to, um, work this hard to, to, to have it just kind of disappear into the ether, you know, short of, uh, it's great that he got this kind of exposure. Um, Mr. Henry Thurlow, congrats and, and good on you, sir, for, for getting, uh, the, the major props that you did, uh, from, from your Reddit and then the exposure on Kotaku. So, so, so many artists or an aspiring artist want to do this sort of thing. And yeah, it's hard to, to, you know, it's just a totally different beast when you look at it going, I'm a fan of this stuff. I want to do it versus what are the steps actually involved? Because it is not easy to pick up and relocate. It is not easy to pick up and relocate to a place where you, where your native language is not spoken. It is not easy to relocate to a place where you're going to make way less money than you're used to. And then of course, on top of that, uh, it's going to be bow browbeaten, um, <laughs> about your art. It's not even your art. It's someone else's art in, in the end. But you know, if that's your goal and that's your dream, you just had got to have a realistic understanding of what you're up against. And it's just one of those overall realities. It sucks to be an artist. Um, and that's, that's not a conviction on, on any artist. I, I am an artist myself and I have many, many artist friends and, and some are a lot more prolific than others, but the internet just really kicks you in the shins because you hear so many wonderful stories on an annual basis about filmmakers getting accolades and, and recognition for things they put on YouTube or, or Vimeo or, or other venues like that. Uh, some people have got options to, to make films and have companies straight out in a bidding war to buy that 10-minute sample you put up there. But when it comes to the more traditional artists, the, the character uh, artists, the, the sketchers, there's I don't know if it's the saturation, but there's a lot out there with DVNR and just uh, Google image searches in general. The public, I don't think, understands that a, a person created that. That wasn't just put there for you to grab as clip art and slap on whatever you want. Somebody poured their heart and soul into it. So keep doing what you're doing. Keep working hard. If that's your dream, if that's your desire, you'll find a way. But, um, yeah, it, it is an uphill battle. Yeah, as we uh, gravitate towards the last few moments of our podcast, got a couple more star stories I wanted to, to get to. Steve, you you dug this one up. I, I saw this on well as well on the social media feed. Star Wars getting its first canonical LGBT character, and you know, part of me isn't surprised because Star Wars is in the hands of Disney now, and Disney has been very openly supporting to the LBGT community for a long time. Um, my 14th wedding anniversary is coming up very shortly. And when my wife and I got married, we Disney, we Disney, we honeymooned at Disney. That, that was our honeymoon for, for seven days. And we happened to be there. Our, our final weekend there was 
although it's not an official event, it, it's Disney Gay Weekends, and and tons and tons and tons of LBGT individuals from around the world uh, converge on Disney and have a celebration because it it's very opening. It, it people aren't not that what we witnessed anyway condescending or, or rude towards people being people expressing their love in a way that may be foreign to, to other people and, and, and the uh, understandings of society. But anyways, um, yeah, so coming from Disney, the first canonical LGBT character, this is coming from Paul S. Kemp's Lord of the Sith novel, which is coming out on April 28th. The character's name is Moth Mars. She's an Imperial, um, a lesbian. And again, the first canonical LGBT character in the franchise, not much is known about Mars, but the website Big Shiny Robot has said she's an Imperial who has made some very serious mistakes, but she is an incredibly capable leader and spends much of the book working hard to prevent absolute failure. And again, you know, I'll just say I, I think it's great for Disney and uh, Star Wars to put this out there, to have it canonical and not something that's very easily written off later on, regardless of how people may feel about it. My only contention here... And again, uh, at Otherworld Steve on Twitter. Um, her name's Moff Mars. I think they should have played up the joke a little bit more and named her Muff Mars. Ah, yeah, I, I guess so. When, when I heard the story, I said, okay, this is cool and it makes sense because Disney has embraced the community for, for many, many years. Uh, and another thought that, that kind of came into my mind when I heard about this was that you know, the best science fiction, it's often been said, the best science fiction is a reflection of our reality. And what better way uh, to embrace where we're at now in the 21st century as, as we see the LGBT community uh, uh, make strides as gay marriage is getting legalized in more places. And yes, there's still bullying, there's still biased, and there's still bigotry going on. But uh, people are making an effort, and we're seeing those changes. So acknowledging in the alien universe that 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 different orientations and genders and and everything in between uh happens is, is a really strong thing it's like okay this is a reflection of of what we are in in today's society uh if it's too alien then the disconnects there and the stories don't resonate the best stories resonate whatever genre it is because there's something that we can all relate to and what's pretty wild too is this isn't even the first um instance of this in the Star Wars universe, there was a gay Mandalorian couple, but once Disney bought the Star Wars franchise from uh, Lucasfilm, those stories are no longer co considered canonical. So, I don't know. Again, props. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, one last thing here I want to talk about, because this, this is funny. It's not even about pop culture or anything, but it is pretty fucking funny. Uh, this past week, I don't know if you guys are listening to the show at what point you're listening to this particular episode, but as we recorded this earlier today, we read this hilarious story, Ireland courts legalizing ecstasy and over 100 drugs for 24 hours. This dates back to the 1977, speaking of Star Wars, Misuse of Drugs Act ruled unconstitutional, but uh, this reversal will last only a day due to a legal loophole. Uh, previously prohibitive drugs include crystal meth, ketamine, and uh, bentos. Possessions of heroin, cocaine, and marijuana, however, are still illegal. That is awesome. You can still go to jail for a, a little bag of pot, but yeah, if I have, you know, 30 ounces of ketamine on me, uh, we're all good. I read this article earlier. I don't understand a lot of what happened legally 
Um, I'm far from being an attorney, but it seems that, yeah, that, you know, sometimes in, in especially this day and age, again, with the internet, you got to be careful how you phrase things because when word gets out and people can find loopholes, they're going to, that's one thing the internet is great at doing is picking things to pieces. So yeah, enjoy your 24 hours on your binge. Uh, we'll be here for you when you come down. I saw, uh, something on my Twitter feed and I retweeted it. Uh, Yova Bundra put, no matter how bad you fucked up anything today, at least you didn't pull in Ireland and accidentally legalize meth. <laughs> Woo! That is the, the best graphic I've seen this month so far. That was brilliant. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, it looks like we're at the ass end of another episode of the Big Ball Broadcast. Thank you, everyone, for uh, choosing to listen to us and, and dedicate a few m- moments of your time uh, so that we could talk your ears off. Uh, Shout-outs to Alan S., DBZ Snaps, John LaPiana, VO, Writer Wrong, and Kyle TV underscore 700669. Let's go enjoy some Irish meth. I'm- <laughs> <laughs> you read my mind. <laughs> right. We're going to do some meth now. Woo! Oh, yeah. All right. So until next time, this is Kyle Bear, And this is Other World Steve. See ya! Special thanks to Will Wilkins and Jason Peer. Music provided by iShine, Perimeter of the Void, and Zero Reynolds. Follow us on Twitter at BB Broadcast and email thebigballbroadcast at gmail.com. This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at smodcast.com.